Kia ora everybody and welcome to this episode of the Stag Raw. It's an absolute pleasure to connect with Adam Kavanagh for this episode. Adam is a man that's on a health journey that's a little different to the norm. He's travelling around Australia in the back of his truck and taking holistic paleo to a new level and you know what, I bloody love it. It's awesome to hear his story, hear the developments he's had in his life and just show what we can do when we change our outlook, how we can improve our health, how we can maximise who we are and that that journey is never over. So without further ado, here's Adam Kavner. I hope you enjoy it. It's a bloody awesome chat. Cheers. Kia ora everybody. Um, those of you that have listened to the Pete Evans podcast would have heard me say that the person that recommended him to me was the bloke I'm speaking with right now, Adam Kavner. He's a bit of a, a bushman from, from Australia, but we'll get to that part. Adam, uh, what did you get up to on the weekend, brother? Um, I've just been uh, knife making, actually, uh, like from start to finish, like the whole process, um, making a big knife out of a, a car leaf spring, actually, <laughs> with a forge and the, like the whole lot, the whole process from start to finish. So that's yeah, been pretty good. Nice, mate. And um, what's the biggest challenge? Um, not cracking the knife. Like, that, that's actually the hardest bit. So, like, obviously, your leaf springs are curved, and then you've got to heat it just right. And, uh, like, obviously, you, you whack it with a, a big hammer and that. And the whole time, it, like, you have to have it the right temperature, or if you smack it at the wrong temperature, you'll just crack it in half. So... It's it's <laughs> basically the whole time you're just making sure you have it nice and hot so you don't break the the damn things. About it, really. Nice, mate. And so, how how does that feedback? And um, if you do crack it, is that end, end of what you're doing, or can you can you salvage it back? Well, well, actually, um, the the really big knife that I'm making at the moment, the last hit I did with the hammer, I cracked the handle, and I just stopped. So, like. Luckily, I was pretty much done, and it kind of sanded out. So I was pretty lucky, but I think, yeah, like really, I was just lucky that where I cracked it was right on the handle. But yeah, I don't know what you do. I think I think if you cracked it, like you, you can possibly heat it up again, and there is a process where you can join the metal back together. But I think really, you just you definitely don't want to. <laughs> you just don't want to crack it. Nice, brother. So how do you how do you start knife making? Where did where did that come from? Obviously, you well, like actually, a big knife. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, actually, I, I started out um, wanting to make a really small, maybe like four-inch skinning knife, and then it turned into like this full crocodile Dundee Bowie that I've made now. So I really don't know. But um, like maybe making a knife probably wasn't something that um, I'd particularly be into, but my brothers are always getting into new cool hobbies and um, my brother actually made his own forge and uh, like everything, actually Anvil Forge, he made all his own um, like gear. So he uh, well, um, he offered to show me how to make a knife. So I jumped at the chance and yeah. So How, how many siblings have you got? And, and have you, you guys always been sort of uh, ingenuitive, ingenuitive? I don't know what that word is, but you know, into, into <laughs> making things. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I've got uh, two brothers and a sister, and uh, well, my sister included. Actually, we've we've always been into like outdoorsy stuff, um, building everything from scratch. So, yeah, making knives was just a was I guess was just another step that we were going to get into. But yeah, so they've always been into that, like making everything from scratch, whether it be knives or tools or clothes even <laughs> everything so pretty handy bunch of kids <laughs> now we'll get to that the uh making clothes and whereabouts do you fit in oh yeah mate? uh i'm the oldest one yeah right yeah, so the trailblazer um, <laughs> yeah well it's funny enough i guess i'm uh, meant to be leading the example but <laughs> anyway i gotta get into that joke but um no, good. So who, who is Adam Kavanagh for those out there that don't follow your uh, 
turtle featuring Instagram? <laughs> uh, Adam Kavanagh is just a, well, I would say a typical Aussie bloke, but maybe not anymore. I guess I'm just a, oh, well, uh, a bloke out there trying to find the answers to health and happiness and all that sort of stuff, I guess. And uh, just a, a bloke that's uh, ever evolving and just, yeah, trying to find the, the best way to live and the healthiest way to live. Nice, mate. So let's let's get into that. Um, you uh, send, me, send me through some details for an interview you'd done for some outdoor survival stuff. And on it, you said that you had a, had a bit of a health crisis. What sort of ha- happened there, brother? Yeah, right. Yeah, I guess I'll, I'll get into the deep end of it. I um, oh, like I've I've always grown up in uh, coal mining towns, and I guess anyone from Australia, you know, that lives in the remote areas will will sort of get like what what that's like to live in. And uh, I myself ended up becoming a coal miner, and I was probably a coal miner for about oh, nine years. And anyway, um, oh, I guess when I was about twenty six, um, my health took a bit of a turn for the worst, and um. Oh, like not to knock doctors or anything like I, I, I'm not going to yeah, go down that road, but I sort of, like, I got really sick and had like a rapid heart rate and I've never had depression or mental health issues or anything in my life. And then all of a sudden, like just woke up one day and had like just a whole list of just weird things wrong with me. And I'd like, I'd, I'd never experienced depression or anxiety before, so it was a, it was a pretty big shock. And, um, yeah, I went to the doctors and they kind of, um, that's a bit of a funny story that the fellow said to me, he's like, oh, is there a lady in your life? And I said, ah, oh. I said, don't worry about me. I said, ladies, don't, don't give me stress. And anyway, it ended up um, c- turning out that I had an overactive thyroid yep. or hyperthyroidism. And um, anyway, so they didn't really recommend any real fix or anything. They kind of just, you know, being a young fellow, that I, it might just have been a one-off event. And anyway, I got sick a few more times and, you know, went to the doctors and sort of never really never really found an answer. And uh, at the end, basically, uh, with your thyroid, there's, there's, it came down to really two options. It was either... Um, live the rest of my life on medication or have an operation on my thyroid and, and, you know, hope that would work. But I, I was never really into holistic health or anything alternate like that, but I just, I just something in me knew that that a pill wasn't going to be the answer or like to be cut open wasn't the answer because they never actually, um, told me why like they never tried to work out why i was sick in the first place mm. so um i'll try to stop waffling on but anyway i um i ended up just saying stuff it and um i just started researching some thyroid um like yeah just googling thyroid health and any alternate way to fix it or just any way to fix it. that at the time i wasn't worried about any alternate health like anyway i was happy to fix it anyway but um, I stumbled across a book. Uh, it's got a crazy long name. Um, why does my thyroid results say I'm healthy or something? But, but anyway, <laughs> I read the book. I read the book. And um, anyway, um, I guess in the book, it didn't call it paleo, but it just said a more primitive caveman diet was a, was a possible way to to fix thyroid health because um, uh, I don't know if many people know, but apparently uh, gluten is like one of the biggest uh, well, gluten is really problematic. If you have thyroid issues because um, oh, like your thyroid um, and a gluten protein molecule, I don't know what you want to call it, but they kind of can look the same. So when your body, uh, kicks off an autoimmune attack, it can kind of, uh, through like gluten sensitivity, your body will start attacking itself. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so it's sort of recommended, 
<laughs> cutting out gluten and, and going on a more um, primitive caveman diet. And funnily enough, um, uh, you know, like everyone tells you, like, oh, you know, be careful eating veggies and meat and eating healthy, like, you know, it could hurt you. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> even my doctor told me to be careful. He said, honestly, he said, be really careful eating paleo. Like, he's like, you really don't know what could happen to you. So uh, <laughs> I, I was, uh, oh, I, I jumped into it pretty worried, actually. Like, um, I'm the kind of person, like, I'll, I'd, if I'm going to do something, I'm, I'm all in. So I, um, <laughs> I yeah, just overnight cleaned the pantry out. And uh, um, originally I started <coughs> off gluten-free uh, and I did that for about a week. And then um, uh, Pete Evans was on TV and the paleo way. And I was like, oh, the paleo, like that's kind of in this book what it explained to do. So, um, yeah, after about a week of just being gluten-free, I thought, ah, stuff it, I'm really going to. I'm really going to go the whole hog. So I, I um, got some of his books and, and uh, as well as all the, the, the information on the internet, there's so much information out there. Yeah. I went 100% paleo and um, like literally I, I got healthy so fast, <laughs> like a matter of weeks, like my health turned around and, and um, it's been a couple of years now and, and I'm still doing the same thing. I'd say, yeah, I'm still, I, I don't like to, to label it, but, but it's just what everyone knows it as, is paleo, like the caveman diet. No, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, and uh, I guess that it, well, it works. I'm still here, so I'm, I haven't had any health issues since since doing it. So, um, yeah, hopefully my thyroid won't give me any more issues later on, but, yeah. No, it's a, interesting you say there about gluten over... Well, even the um, integrative practitioner I went to, we cut out gluten and dairy for uh, three months because they were triggers. My thyroid function was going down as opposed to up and being away from that, kicked it back into gear. Um, but BPRNZ, Ben Warren in New Zealand, he often talks about that gluten and thyroid link. And um, the first step is sort of the gluten break, breaks down the gap junctions in your gut. So that creates leaky gut. And then, like you say, those... Yep those gluten hormone or proteins mimic the thyroid hormone and um, yeah, thyroid is what filters your brain. And so it, it either creates a overimmune action, like in your case, and you leach out all this thyroid hormone and feel like crap. And from an optometry perspective, we sometimes see people with big googly eyes and that's never good. Um, or the other way and you, and you go, go lose all your thyroid function and, and your adrenal glands go down and, you end up naked and can't, you know, your heart rate goes crazy and you can't do exercise and that was where I was heading. So no, it's it's pretty amazing that a simple thing like, you know, a bit of bread can give people, <laughs> <laughs> give people so much grief, I guess. Mate, um, and so from that, you said, you said you're working in, in the coal mines and then um, when I spoke yep. to you sort of asking, how are you doing this travel around? You said you're quite quite good with, with money in the coal mines and you took off to Africa for four months. What did that sort of involve, mate? Yeah, right. Yeah. So, um, well, actually that's, that's a funny story in itself. I, um, I'd done the paleo for a while and I, and I'd fixed my health and I was feeling pretty good. But the funny thing is when you, uh, sort of take on the health journey, um, you kind of stumble into more things and, and there's always something you can try or there's like, you know, like you can always better yourself or improve yourself. It's like the, the curse of, of being healthy, I guess. <laughs> and um, so I, like as I got healthier, I realized that shift work and doing night shift and just the, the environment of a mind site like is not particularly healthy itself. And I didn't want to quit my job at, at the time because obviously it, uh, like, coal mining is pretty, pretty good money. So I decided, I thought stuff it up. I hadn't really had many holidays or, or, or time off the whole time I'd worked in the mine. So I thought I'll have a few months off and I'll see how I feel. And that'll be the, the decider whether I quit my job or not. So yeah, I took uh, nearly four months off, went to Africa, probably one of the best things I've ever done in my life. It is amazing over there. Yeah. Just the people and 
the, obviously the animals. Everyone goes that goes to see the animals. So, yeah. Now, what part of Africa were you in? Oh, actually, I well, excluding Egypt and a few of those countries up there, I started in uh, Kenya and basically uh, spiraled my way all the way down to the south. So I've pretty much nearly seen all of Africa. Yeah. Um, well, actually, uh, I sort of did a bit of a tour, but I, I don't know if you'd still want to call it a tour. Basically, I travelled in a truck and I slept in a tent every night. And um, it's funny enough, you, I, I, I don't know, I guess over here you kind of, you think of Africa and you when you go there, you think you're always going to be protected or you're going to be, there's going to be a barrier between you and the animals. But um, <laughs> <laughs> there was one night we were there and um, on New Year's actually, and the hyenas run into like nearly on, like directly on the, on the stroke of midnight, we had a full pack of hyenas run into the camp and oh yeah, there's people running everywhere. And then um, after my nerves calmed down and went to bed, like th there was lions and uh, stuff sniffing the tent. Like I've never experienced anything like that before. It was uh, like it, uh, that aside, it was still the best thing I've ever done. Like I've got so many stories I could tell you about how I nearly died over there. <laughs> <laughs> pick, pick, pick one because uh, it's always good to hear people's near-death experiences, especially when they're on a health journey. <laughs> Rightio. Um, I'll make mine animal-related. <laughs> so, so everyone... <laughs> When you hear of Africa, like everyone hears, hears about hippos being the most dangerous animal in Africa and, and they, they are so correct. Like um, uh, all up, uh, I, I guess you could say I nearly got killed by hippos three times, but the, um, the most memorable one, we were in the Okavingo Delta in these little dugout, little wooden canoes. Uh, I don't know if canoe is the right word for it, but these little wooden boats. And um, it was like they've been experiencing like a bit of a drought over there at the time. So obviously the hippos in the waterways were a lot more concentrated and uh, it was on my birthday too. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're cruising through the Okavango Delta and uh, yeah, just in the middle, out of the middle of nowhere, this hippo just launched out and it couldn't decide out of like, there was a few other uh, canoes in the water and the, and the hippo couldn't decide out of the two canoes, which one to attack. So it kind of launched through the middle of the, of the canoes and um, uh, the, the, the guy that was, like, um, uh, steering the canoe, he speared us into the, into the reeds. And oh, it's, like, honestly the most terrified I've ever been in my life. Like, you could just hear the thing. It was so close. And uh, the fellow just said to us, he's like, just don't even, don't even breathe. So we sat there for a couple minutes. And anyway, uh, like, we, we didn't know what happened to the other people in the kayak. Like, I mean, the canoe, like, we didn't know if they got... Um, killed or not because hippos don't muck around like when they see you they like they just kill that's their thing like it's, it's they're just protecting themselves or and they're young and that like just. but anyway after a few minutes we um we ended up just lifting the kayak out of the water and it, it was like a few hours later we ended up meeting up with the other people and found out they were right but yeah i'll never forget that like how close it was i could i could smell the thing it was that close like there yeah, like anyway what sort of what sort of scale does a hippo compare to? Like uh, an SUV, or what are we what are we talking? Uh, probably like a Land Cruiser or a four wheel drive. Yeah, they're pretty big. Jeepers! No, that, that wouldn't be fun. And um, so you, you said you're on a sort of touring round with with a, with a truck. Was that with yourself or with a few people, or, or how did how did you go about that? Um, it was just just a bit, actually. It's a funny story too. I kind of just. It was just a last-minute decision. I was just on the internet and thinking about somewhere where to go on a holiday, and you know, I was going to go to America or just somewhere in normal where everyone would normally go. And then I thought, you know what, like stuff. It. I'm just going to go to Africa because I'm sure everyone watched, has watched The Lion King when they're when they're a kid, and it's uh, pretty embarrassing to say that's where I got the inspiration from. But um, yeah, I, I just got on the internet found the longest tour that I could do, which was about four months, Yeah, booked it. And then uh, um, I didn't tell my parents until about two weeks uh, before I flew away because I, like, I just knew um, like it's, a, it's a pretty touch-and-go kind of place. 
so anyway, yeah, like I think I had about two weeks after I booked the ticket and I was on a plane to Africa and yeah, spent the next four months there just by myself traveling around in this, this big old truck. Nice brother. And so could you pinpoint one thing why that was the best thing you've ever done? I guess, um, like, well, I guess everyone kind of travels, but, um, I don't know, maybe not everyone goes to somewhere out of, out of the ordinary, like most Australians go to Bali or yeah, you know, like a typical Euro trip or something like that, which is nothing wrong with that. Like at all, that's great. But yeah, I just, I just wanted to do something out of the box and yeah, for whatever reason, Africa was where I landed. So that's epic, mate. Continuing the animals theme a bit closer to home. Um, you managed to find a little dingo. Did it? Did it befriend, yep. befriend you, or you befriended it, or how, how did that go down, mate? Um. Well, that's a funny story. I um. I'll. Uh, uh, I guess I'll get a bit woo woo, but um, I, I actually like. I, I'm a bit of a bow hunter, so obviously I used to shoot everything and um. Uh. It, Obviously, I shot a lot of dingoes in my time, and uh, for whatever, like, and that was just there's just the mindset that uh, dingoes, all dingoes are pests and what, and and that for livestock, which which is understandable if you're a farmer. I guess that's the way you're going to see it. And um, I, I, <laughs> we had enough. I had this dream once that, um, it, like, you know, I couldn't kill dingoes anymore, and one day I'd rescue one. It was the silliest thing ever. I thought that's so silly, but for whatever reason, I, I really took it on. I thought now. Nah, I really can't kill dingoes anymore and um, I just stopped doing it. And then anyway, I, I happened to be traveling through the Victorian high country and um, yeah, I, I shook my head straight away. I, I drove over this hill and it was a pretty remote spot. So, um, you know, like it would have, it would have died. It was, it was completely malnourished, this little dingo pup. But anyway, I drove over this hill and it was just laying in the middle of the road, like basically Oh, you know, hours away from death. Yeah, and uh, I, I don't know who rescued who, but I uh, hopped out of the car and picked it up. Like it never tried to bite me or attack me or anything. Like that's what at first I was like this. Like I was like it has well, it, it obviously it looked like a dingo, but I was like this thing could be a domesticated dog. It was so friendly. Anyway, I, I fed it up, and um, yeah, the rest is kind of history. I. I'd love to have a dingo with me, but there's a few legalities of having a having a wild dingo, so I had to <laughs> give it away to an animal sanctuary. But and uh, what do they say when you t- turn up with the t- with a dingo, brother? <laughs> but <laughs> actually, uh, it, it was a bit of a shock because uh, I think the lady said it's the first time anyone's ever rescued a dingo in ever. So I um. Yeah, I really, yeah, they they were kind of speechless, and I didn't really know what to do either. But uh, they they just, I guess, with the legality of the of the dingo, um, uh, I guess I did the right thing by giving it to an animal sanctuary. So they they send me updates now on the on the little fella, and you know, I get to get to see his progress and as he grows up. And and um, it turns out it could be a, a pure alpine dingo. So. They're a bit bigger than the typical dingo that most people would think of. These they're really, really big dogs, like if not bigger than a pig dog or equivalent to a pig dog in size. So it's not what most people would would consider a dingo. But anyway, yeah. So it it works out pretty good. I'll I'll hopefully all go as well for him, and I'll I'll yeah go get to catch up with him again in my travels one day. Nice. So for those who don't sort of understand. Uh, dingoes in Australia like the originally they're obviously indigenous and now they're sort of interbred with a whole bunch of wild dogs so and like you said they're, they're a perceived threat to livestock how you know are they, are they protected like you say you handed into a sanctuary but nobody tends to do that what's the sort of perception of a of a dog that runs around roams around the bush and in some ways causes trouble but in another way is something that was once and still is partly indigenous to the country yeah, it's a, it's a funny thing. Like like in Australia, we have so many pest and feral animals, and uh, 
well, in most states of Australia, um, the dingo falls into that category too because of the fact that, um, well, a lot of dingoes have now uh, interbred with wild dogs, so they're, just, they're considered wild dogs now. But, um, uh, I mean, I, I guess you can understand that if you're a farmer and you have livestock, uh, wild dogs can be a bit of a problem. But there's such a misconception between a wild dog and a dingo, like... Um, it, I was the same. I've only just recently learned myself that, um, I don't know if you know, in Australia, there's an island called Fraser Island mm-hmm. and it's like the last sanctuary for pure dingoes. Right. And um, I, I thought that was that island was the last dingoes in Australia, but there, there actually is a few pockets of wild dingoes left in Australia and in the Northern Territory, uh, dingoes are protected there. So there's a good population of uh, purebred wild dingoes there. But I think most states, they're just classed as wild dogs. So it's such a grey area. <laughs> that, yeah, their, their protection in the Northern Territories, is that to, anything to do with Aboriginal culture or just they've made that decision? I'm not too sure, to be honest. It's um, like I'm not sure exactly if they're protected everywhere or just in national parks, and I'm not sure if it's an Aboriginal thing or not. But, yeah, I'm not too sure myself on that one. It's all good. Um, so what other animals do you enjoy picking up? Uh, we've, we've mentioned the turtles. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've sort of taken on the nickname the turtle man. I, um, I, yeah, I never meant for that to happen, but for whatever reason, yeah, I just happen to keep, I have a bit of a, a thing. I've worked out a bit of a knack for catching turtles, I should say. And anyway... So uh, I've worked that out and I've got plenty of photos of, of my turtle catches and um, over the time now everyone calls me the turtle man. So, um, but I, I don't know, like getting into the animal catching, I guess if you want to know where it all began, when I was a young fella, I, I don't know if you've ever have, I used to have had Steve Irwin on the telly over there when you was a kid, did you? Yeah. Absolutely. I guess. <laughs> um Love him or hate him. I used to watch a lot of him when I was a kid. And as a kid, like my grandparents and my parents were always um, up in arms because I'd always be bringing frogs and lizards and spiders and snakes and stuff back into the house. And oh, yeah, I was, um, yeah, it wasn't real popular. But I guess as I've grown up, I kind of got away from that sort of stuff. So as a kid, like I was always terrorizing animals and rolling rocks and all that sort of thing. And then as I've got older, I got away from it. And it's funny, funny, funnily enough, as I've sort of um, taken on my health journey for whatever reason, I've started to take an interest back in animals again. And um, yeah, like I, I don't know if, catching them is the right word but I always seem to have animal encounters and yeah right, so I guess that, that probably answers our, our question of what, what was Adam like as a five year old that shows through today mate what? <laughs> oh, sorry mate <laughs> no, you, you're good you're good I just just thought of that as you, t- as you taught, brought it back to where it all began mate what, what's the itch that you're scratching about not, not working anymore and being out in the wild and, and it's where the post you'd you'd love to start making your own clothes and things. What's what's the itch that you're scratching to go deep into this caveman survival thing? Right, yeah. I guess the 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 healthier I get um, in body and mind, like uh, the journey that I'm on, the the further I get away from from what's normal. Um, the healthier and happier I seem to be. So the, like, obviously uh, there was a lot of things that fixed my health. Like I, I guess I can't attribute it all to paleo. Like there was spending a lot of time in nature and exercise and a lot of other sort of, sort of stuff. But there's, there's really something about, I don't know, being in nature that that's so healing and getting away from, from what's normal. And, and through that, I guess uh, every, and there's also this thing like uh, in every, well, years ago in culture, I guess, if you want to look at the Indians or the Aboriginals, there's like this, uh, 
trial of manhood mm. that that people used to go through. And uh, as silly as it sounds, I, I kind of feel that I'm going through that myself now, and because it's not a thing anymore. And I, I think a lot of the guys um, are missing that, so I'm kind of I've uh, taken it upon myself to to go on this sort of uh, spiritual journey, or or uh, like a what's the word for it? Or, or Aboriginals called it walkabout. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> to to just get back to nature, and and part of that is uh, getting away from from everything that's that you could buy, I guess, like getting back to making everything. So as I'm out in the bush, uh, hunting my own food, uh, making the most of everything, like using all of the animal. And that's, and that's, uh, where that sort of uh, started was, was harvesting the animal and not wasting anything. So using the skins to make clothes and the, the further I go down this rabbit hole, of holistic health and the caveman journey I'm on the, the more of that stuff that I want to make and use. And yeah, I, I have no idea where it's going to end, but at, at this stage I'm going to eventually like, I don't know how long I'll do it for, but at this stage I'm going to get rid of all my clothes and just make everything from, from natural things you can find in the bush, whether it's plants or animal skins uh, i don't i don't know how how far down this rabbit hole i'm gonna go no that's awesome man and you know, you, you touched on that we lack this i don't know coming of age or, or whatever it is and it's something i've been contemplating since finishing university thinking about um my time in university and some of the stupid decisions i made you know you go to a go to a university hall and you're being mentored by people who are one year older than you who, who have no idea either and it's all caught up in, in drinking and, and you know, a sense of freedom but um, there's, there's not the same, I don't know, guide or influence from people that have done it and it, I guess that's what is quite attractive about watching what you're doing on your Instagram is that you're, you're, you are, you're taking it back to nature and, and even if we're not part of it, we get to witness it and feel that that level of nature. Um, you've you've been fishing now. Is it you're only going to do hand lines, or, or you, do you get a rod out there? <laughs> um, well, I'm not sure about that one yet. I might keep the fishing rods. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah, just just touching on that though. I guess um, yeah, there's like a thing that like definitely. Um, in my travels and my journeys so far, there's one thing that's for sure that no one has it all figured out. No one has the answers. And there's, there's so many ways to, to health and happiness that uh, one person's journey is, is so different to the next person's. And I've just chosen this journey because of my, you know, passion of nature and, the caveman thing and it just felt right. So I, I just felt that, that this is what's best for me. So yeah, with, with the fishing rods, I, I guess I'm, I'm, I might make a spear. Yep. We'll, we'll see how that goes. <laughs> yeah. And do you think you'll, you know, the inland of Australia is big. Do you, will you stay coastal or go to the mountains or mix it up? You've got one of the best trucks around, so you're pretty mobile. <laughs> well, actually, funny enough, I, I um, I'm all new to Instagram and and this whole world. I've actually been travelling for a fair while now, so um, not to brag, I've 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 actually done all of Australia. I've, I've recently just come back from Tasmania, so I've I've ticked all of Australia off my list, and at the moment. Um, I'm in Queensland again now, um, getting my getting my four wheel drive ready for a trip to Arnhem Land, uh, which yeah. is a uh, the most sort of remote Aboriginal place in Australia. Like, uh, you, you, obviously, you need permission to go into the Aboriginal land there, and that's the last place in Australia for me to see. And then I've completely seen all of Australia. So after I do that, um, 
I have no doubt I'm not going to stop traveling. I guess I'll just do another tour around Australia, um, coastal and inland. It's all so beautiful. I guess I'll have to do it all again. Nice. You hear Adam Greentree going on about Arnhem Land. He gets to go in there because he does contract work with, with the Aboriginal people. But how did you manage to get in there, mate? Um. Yeah, well, I'm not 100% sure yet. I've got, I've got a few mates in there, so I guess that always helps. But uh, whether you have mates or not, you can always get into Arnhem Land um, as long as you, uh, I think you go to the council building and you have paperwork, you just sign the, the right paperwork and forms and if it all lines up and you get accepted, you're, you're allowed in. So I, I guess that's the way I'm going to go. Nice, mate. Um, I haven't read it yet. I've got it sitting right in front of me right now, but you keep hearing Joe Rogan talk about Sebastian Younger's book, um, Tribe, and that nobody ever came out of uh, these primitive civilizations into our Western culture, but people often go out and, and don't want to come back. Is, is there much of attraction from the Aboriginal people in Australia? I know there's sort of a bad rap and, and the odd bit of bad blood going on, but the... They're powerful people and, you know, you hear stories of them running for days and days, no worries, just, just to go to somebody's funeral. Um, what, what, do you, what do you sort of see the Aboriginal people of Australia as? Yeah, right. So, so through my travels of Australia, I've been lucky enough to uh, become friends with a few uh, Aboriginals up in, in uh, the Gulf, um, which is sort of far north Queensland. And... Uh, through that through that friendship I've um, had a lot of uh, I guess you could call it access to to uncharted Aboriginal land and got to uh, have some experiences with some Aboriginal tribes and and uh, that also includes hunting and fishing and they're just a really mis- misunderstood uh, people I guess like there's there's such a camaraderie and tribe and like friendship that they have amongst each other that that a lot of people will never understand so it's i, I guess um I, I seen a sign one day and it just said uh every culture had one thing in common which was um time spent alone in the wilderness and and when i seen that sign like something resonated and and uh and that's what's that's drawing me up north back to the Aboriginal people. Like they, you know, I think they have some things figured out that that would help me in my journey, and and I'd love to get up there and and they have such a deep knowledge of the land and such a connection with the land that and that sort of fits into everything that I'm about. And they have so much that that I'd love to learn, and I'm just hoping that when I go north and meet with the with Aboriginal people that hopefully they'll uh yeah share some of their their knowledge with me absolutely and that was one one of the greatest things that in the magic pool back to Pete Evans was when those people up north talked about their ancestors and showed pictures of their ancestors and the health of those people that are connected with the land you're exactly right they look like they've got something sussed out there that we don't know about and especially what was highlighted in the magic pill is perhaps our Western culture is poisoning a lot of these people. So the people that you've been spending time with, what, what are they sort of projecting in terms of vitality? Um, well, I'd have to say that the, the people that I was currently mates with, there's still the thing like at the shops, they, I guess, if you get into holistic health, the food that they're eating sort of more processed food. So mm-hmm. there is still a lot of unhealthy people in those communities. And uh, I don't know, like, I guess that's not all figured out yet, but uh, through a couple of the, the guys that I was hanging around with up there, like they are, they are aware of that now. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the, the young guys that I was hanging with, like they, it, it, it's a real, uh, I guess it's a work in progress. So people are people and most people are going to go for the easiest option. But 
I guess I was lucky enough for the the guys in the Gulf that I was hanging with. We did a lot of uh, hunting for food. Mm-hmm. So yeah, they were pretty fit, fit bunch of lads. <laughs> were, you, were you a hunter before you started this journey? Like you said, bow hunting, that's quite a difficult task. Is that something that you were passionate about before or is this something that's developed out of necessity for being out in the wilderness? I guess I was pretty lucky. I've, I, um, uh, for a lot of years now, I've been a bow hunter and got to refine my skills and uh, sort of not known as a bow hunter, but I've been doing it for a while and then um, taking on this sort of the journey of my now traveling Australia and trying to live off the land. Um, the bow hunting has been such a vital skill. And uh, actually, I'm not too sure if you, if uh, people know the difference between a compound and a, and a traditional recurve bow. But uh, I, I guess I, I started off with a compound bow and, and just recently I've kind of parked it up to take on more of a challenge of a traditional bow, which is a more um, primitive style of, of archery. So that's the new challenge that, that I'm getting into now with archery. So I guess... I don't know what the step after that is. <laughs> um, I was listening to, again, Joe Rogan, they were talking about how with the recurve, you, you're in control of the tension. And then what are you using to rest the arrow on? Is it your finger or do you have a little rest? And, and how, how do you sort of have a target with your, with your recurve? Because obviously your compounds, you can even get scopes of different distances and everything. How, how have you sort of stripped that back? <laughs> yeah, okay, so... I don't want to knock bow hunters because obviously I'm a bow hunter. <laughs> but you, hear, <laughs> you hear about a lot of people that shoot the compound bows and um, they they do say they're a challenge and whatnot. And, and I guess they are. Like compared to guns and, and anything like that, a, a compound bow is a challenge. But uh, to be honest, I, I actually was struggling. I wasn't finding it much of a challenge anymore because the, the compound bows we have these days, like they're so fast, they're so accurate. They have all these pins, you know, it's, it's, they're so complex and, and refined now. Like they're basically like, they, they don't take much. Like it's not like there's a bit of skill involved, but there's not that much skill involved. So when you, you step it back to a traditional bow, you've got no sights, uh, stabilizers there's nothing it's just a, a bow a string and an arrow so and uh, in that too there's so there's a lot there's a few different ways you can shoot it and i think the method that you'd say that i'm doing is called instinctive archery so i don't really aim anything up i kind of just draw the bow back and just look and let go and um obviously uh, when you shoot and a bow, a lot of times you kind of get a shot cycle going and you kind of, you can kind of predict somewhat where the arrow is going to go. And, but oh yeah, it's, it's a lot more challenging, challenging than a, than a compound bow that all those guys kind of shoot. <laughs> yeah. And so how, how, what sort of range are you confident with the uh, recurve, man? Um, I had a rule, even with my compound bow, uh, 30 meters was my, uh, maximum effective range so anything over 30 meter, meters I wouldn't take the shot with like, obviously people are doing like 100 meter shots and 70 meter shots like that, that there is some people do do some pretty big shots um, I think even 40 meters is, is a pretty confident shot but I just chose 30 meters with the compound and uh, with the traditional bow I've sort of stepped my range back to 20 meters at this stage so anything uh, further than 20 metres is safe at the moment. Nice. And so with your recurve bow, your traditional bow, are they, do the animals still get the jump on, on the shot or with the shorter range, um, and probably a quiet, is it quieter, the, the shot? Yeah, I'd, I'd say it's a little bit quieter. Like there's so many things you can tweak on a bow to make them quiet. So um, there's not too much difference. Like the the velocity of the arrow is a little bit slower with a recurve and um, which, which factors in a few more things, but, but I'd have to say they're pretty close to being the same. Like there's not much of a difference after you shoot the arrow. Yeah. You, you can pretty much expect the same thing. No, nice. Mate. So 
We were sort of chatting before we got started about, um, you know, think things that I've seen you doing, and one of them was catching up with some couple of legends who are touring the country themselves, the Chill Seekers. What does the sort of Wim Hof technique sort of mean to you, and how often do you implement it? What do you, what do you try to find, find in that practice? Yeah, yeah. Oh, the the Chill Seeker guys actually, uh, not to give them a plug, but they're um. Oh, stuff I'll give them a plug. They're, they're on tour at the moment, the Chill Seekers. So yeah, they're, they're a really cool bunch of lads, uh, Mark and Zane. And uh, I know you know Mark, and he is a legend. <laughs> and um, actually, I, I, I stumbled across uh, those fellas by accident. I, I'd, um, like I'm always w- looking for the next thing, like maybe something to improve myself more. And, um, I read this book and then I kind of stumbled across uh, breathing and I'd, I'd heard of Wim Hof, but I thought he was just some crazy Dutchman that, that did ice baths. I, I didn't realize there was so much more to the story than that. And um, uh, through uh, Googling breathing, I, I stumbled across the Wim Hof and the Wim Hof method. And um, actually the first time I did it, like um, I, I don't know how to explain it to someone that's never tried it, but, um, definitely had like this rush of energy and oh, it was like this crazy sensation. And I thought, oh, wow, there's, there's something more to this. And uh, I don't know how I felt about the cold showers at that time. <laughs> but um, I, I, like, uh, I wasn't sh- like, I don't know how to explain it. With anything you find on the internet, sometimes you never know if the information's correct or not. So I... I booked into a course in Melbourne and uh, Mark and Zane were running the course uh, on the Wim Hof method. And um, yeah, I went to the course and run into those fellas. And I guess they've, uh, it's funny enough through that, that meeting by chance um, I've made a couple of great mates with these, with the Wim Hof instructors. So yeah, it's been a pretty cool journey. And I, I've done a lot of ice baths now. I, I won't lie. It's, I don't know if I'd say it's easy, but I've done a lot of them now. And uh, I practice the breathing every day. So, and also, uh, I guess anyone out there listening, I don't know. So there's like the Wim Hof method. And once you get into that, there's like a, there's like a, another, um, there's more levels to it. Um, In regards to the breathing, there's like, maybe stuff that you won't find on the internet, like higher levels. And um, I was pretty lucky to run into Mark and Zane, the chill seeker lads. So they've, they've been um, pretty generous mates and have, and have showed me, showed me more to the Wim Hof method than most people would probably get to see or understand. And is that taking you into sort of a transcendental meditation state sort of stuff and getting you sort of out of body ish or, what 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 are you, uh, could, could could you elaborate any more? Obviously, it's it's probably something to to be experienced rather than try and voice. <laughs> yeah, um, it's really funny. Like obviously, back when I was a coal miner, I was never into any of this sort of uh, what's the word for it? Woo woo, hippie sort of stuff. And it's funny how I've, I've turned into a hippie now. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I guess with the with the breathing, yeah, there's definitely, um, oh, it's different for everyone. Everyone experiences something different, but through starting the, the Wim Hof breathing, I guess you could say, I'm going to regret saying this, I guess my, my third eye has been opened. Mm-hmm. So I've been t- tapping into all that side of things. And definitely I'd say, I guess I've, I've had out-of-body experiences um, it, it, uh, when you when you do the Wim Hof method with a group of people, it's like a different energy that you would experience by yourself. So I guess <laughs> I don't know how to explain it. Like every cell in your body vibrates, if if that makes sense. Like it's this really warm, warm feeling that comes over you. I, I, I honestly don't know how to explain it, but it's something else. And um, warmth is exactly right for us. There's no way that man could stand in ice for fifty odd minutes. So. 
or what did he swim? Sixty meters underwater, uh, under under an ice cap. So, you know, warmth is warmth is definitely one of the things that that provides. But I know I know you're talking talking on a deeper level. And one of his sort of I don't know messages that he talks about is like being happy and healthy. And he sort of went back, like yourself, went back to nature after a period of depression. Unfortunately for him, he lost his partner to suicide, and he went into a deep depression and and went back to nature back to the thing that he knew about when he was a kid of jumping into cold lakes and like i said developed this feeling of euphoria and and decided that there was something to it it's when you said you're in 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 a sort of you became anxious and and sort of depression what what things took you out of that in the beginning i guess um when I first started getting sick, the the diet change definitely helped. Like it, it it calmed me down a lot. And then I started like at the time it's so silly looking back at it now. <clears throat> With the mind frame I was in, I started doing yoga and stretching and sort of relaxation stuff with like meditation as well. And uh, that uh, helped dramatically. And and at the time, it, like it was this silly mind frame I was in that that stuff was wasn't cool or or whatnot. But it, but I've stuck with all that sort of stuff, and and that has been vital in in my health anyway. A lot of the relaxation techniques, mainly yoga, I'd say. I reckon it was the best one for me. Nice mate, and I feel like we're missing a, a little bit of a, a switch here. Um, how, like you say, you. But prior to that, your mind frame as a as a coal miner was this was all woo woo. This was this was no good. Was it just that the fact that you were under threat that it was this pain's so bad I've got to do something, or or was there something an intermediate? Was there any guiding light for you or anything like that? Um, I really don't know how to explain it. Um, I guess it all just came in in one big shock, like. It was nearly overnight how it happened. Like, the, it, it, yeah, I don't know. There was no real gradual um, warning signs. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's that's incredible. Yeah. That's incredible. And did you manage to find out what was the underlying cause of of of, of the thyroid disease? Was it just gluten, or did you have some other? You know, obviously. A, yeah, actually, a, I, a I should have um, touched on. Place. <laughs> yeah, I, I should have touched on that. Sorry. Um, I, th- I think um, the biggest uh, part of my health and the dramas was gluten, I'd say. Mm, yeah. And I found out like, I had a lot of the gluten tests done and at the time I didn't realise, like through a lot of research now, I've, I've found out that uh, the gluten sensitivity tests that you can have done, they, may, I don't know if not very accurate is the word I want to use, but because there's so many proteins in the gluten molecule molecule if that's the word for it there's so many that they even when you get tested they might miss some yeah and i'd have to say definitely yeah giving up gluten has been one of the biggest things for me but but also like even after giving up that the if you're in a job or you're doing something with your life that's not fulfilling and and doesn't make you happy i guess uh, I guess it's t- like not everyone can make the change, but I really found that 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 stepping out of my comfort zone, and uh, like obviously that was it was so terrifying to quit my job. <laughs> it was really stepping out of the comfort zone, but but that's what I needed, and it's been really helpful. So it's sort of yeah, that that's been very helpful. Getting away from, I guess, with the position that I was in, it, it was a pretty stressful. It was a pretty stressful role that I was in, so. What sort of mine were you yeah. in? Uh, an open-cut coal mine. Yeah. Uh, and so l- large machinery going around, is that right? Yeah. yeah. Um, I was a machine or a plant operator. So mm-hmm. it's it's kind of funny, yeah, the the, the size of some of the, the machinery out there. But uh, like after years um, spent out there, you just get, you get so used to it. It's not even... You know, you don't even bat an eyelid at it anymore, like how big it is. Mm-hmm. So. And you said you were doing doing shift work. What sort of how many how many how many nights were you 
going and I know I've, I've got a young baby and my sleep is a bit, bit stuffed up at the moment I'm, and I'm definitely noticing <laughs> in terms of my skin it's and I'm holding in there mentally but in terms of things that are coming up in my body that are manifesting to say you, you know eventually you'll need to get some sleep mate um how, how much <laughs> was was the was the night shift in and I've heard Rhonda Patrick and, and Sachin Panda who's a researcher in circadian rhythm just really talk about how much of a risk factor that is to your to your uh, life expectancy and, and all causes of mortality um what what were you involved with in terms of shift work i i was on a five and five roster or mm-hmm. e- equal time roster i guess and um i guess it sounds pretty cushy five on five off but but after you factor in the uh, like a half a day day change over and then uh, like maybe after you finish your, your last shift like a day recovery it kind of doesn't work out so good but i guess i was doing 12 and a half hour days so i mean all up i guess it would it would end up being like a 14 hour day and um <clears throat> it was fun like when i first started researching like all this health and and you know, caveman diet or paleo, whatever you want to call it. I, I did like actually, I did a lot of research on um, the circadian rhythm and how important it was. And, and at the time, I like I sort of shrugged it off. I thought, I oh, you know, like I guess I can kind of fix myself around this. But then, um, actually, by the by the end of my time in the mines, I would be doing like the the most amount of uh, the the most night shifts uh, night shifts I would do in a row was three nights. And I was finding by the end of it, even though I was so healthy, my body just something like, I don't know if it was something to do with my health, but for whatever reason, I couldn't, my circadian rhythm couldn't hit a pattern. Like it just wanted to be awake during the day and asleep at night. So when I do the night shifts, I was like spending like four days awake straight, like no sleep. And that, that, that helped with my decision to leave the mines, obviously. But yeah. And and it's, I guess it's pretty common. Like not like not everyone gets much sleep through the night shift. So it has to be so detrimental to your health. Mm-hmm. And uh, I guess, I, I don't know um, what shift work you've done. Um, it's a bit of a joke actually amongst everyone that you, you do, you turn into a bit of a zombie when you're on night shift. Like there's just, there's not much going on upstairs. <laughs> Yeah, mate. I've I've uh, worked worked enough bars, and then also um, where I'm from down south in Invercargill, we've got an aluminium smelter, which um, sort of <laughs> same same company as the one in Launceston. Um, and uh, I've did the, it was a two day, two night, four off roster, and yeah, talk about having a hangover without even smelling a, any alcohol. <laughs> and, and, and you're right, you you'd sort of go to sleep for two hours, wake up groggy, try your best to get through to the afternoon and be no good. And that, like I said, the changeover day, you try to get a nap and then you've got to eat and you're going, well, what do I eat? Do I have dinner now? Do I have breakfast now? And, and on that circadian rhythm, uh, it is, there's, you've got your master clock, your pineal gland, which relies on, on light and, and red light and at, at, you know, during the day and, and, and blue lights and things. And then you've got your stomach and, if if you're sort of feeding at weird times and your liver's releasing insulin in the middle of the night, then your pineal gland's going, "What the hell? Where 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 are we at?" Um, and yeah, and that's I guess what what leads down the road of of fatty livers and insulin uh, resistance and 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 the bad health effects that come from it. Yeah, exactly. On that. Um with a lot of the guys I worked with and, and shift workers in general, there's like it, diabetes and heart issues, um, uh, high blood pressure, all that seems to like everyone I worked with always had issues with all those things. And I, and it definitely has to do with, with shift work. Like it, it is actually not like, yeah, people know that, <laughs> that they're correlated, but it, it's funny to, to see, how bad it actually is for your health but i guess if you got to yeah i mean if if you got to do it i'm sure there's ways to there's ways to make it work but yeah, it's hard on the body yeah um and back back to that session bandary has a has a 
um, community research project called My Circadian Rhythm. And I think if you partake in that and you are a shift worker, because they do want they do want to analyze the diets and the sleeping patterns of shift workers and see what they can tweak. They actually give you free advice on little hacks and and, and techniques. And I guess they try to refine your diet to be as low impact as possible. And, and probably a lot of that stuff has a foundation in, in, in paleo and being whole food and getting a, a broad range of nutrients from fresh fresh foods that are untainted. Um, mate, what what next do you, do you think? It's, it's still a journey, I, I gather, and you're still a work in progress. Do you... Yeah, I guess um, my thing as I travel Australia, like I'm definitely, like I always love to help people or talk to people or, you know, that's, Maybe one day, hopefully, I can get into some kind of line of work where I'm helping people. But um, I'm not too sure what's next. I'm pretty sure, like, I'm still on my bit of a, I'm still on my journey at the moment. So I think I'll, I'll go to Arnhem Land and see where that goes. But I, I really don't think I'm going to give up the traveling or the adventures anytime soon. Um, yeah. So I guess maybe another trip around Australia and I'm pretty sure uh, sometime in the future, I'm New Zealand's next on my list of places to go. So nice mate. Yeah, uh, looking, looking forward to coming over there. Bring a rain jacket. I'll give you <laughs> give <it> a, <laughs> a bit of advice. Yeah, that's, that's something that always amuses me watching these people uh, drive around Australia and commie vans and living in beaches and you know, using, using surf clubs to shower. I, th- I think, uh, you could do it in New Zealand, but you you get very damp. We we've done the North Island and the South Island when I was little, and going up the West Coast, we we got the West Coast weather, which was pouring with rain and, and sleeping in a tent on sphagnum moss that was soaked wet. So, yeah, bring a bring a watertight tent and a and a, and a good jacket. <laughs> well, I'm glad I've started the Wim Hof method anyway for when I get over there. <laughs> nice, mate. Um, so, where can people find you? You know, where can people see the turtles? <laughs> um, yeah, I guess everything I have, Facebook and Instagram is just Adam Kavanagh. Yeah. yeah so, yeah, uh, Instagram's Adam underscore Kavanagh underscore. But, yeah, uh, you'll see it's the guy with the shirt off of the turtles. <laughs> nice. And we'll be, be, we'll be sure to link that, of course, man. And, and as anybody knows, I'll be putting some posts up that will we'll have – your links to that that post as well, so it should be easy enough to find you. Um, anything that you'd like to leave anybody with, uh, that person that maybe is going through a health crisis and not getting the answers, what would you, what would you say to somebody like that, or, or say to yourself if you were, you know, looking looking back before everything everything hit you? <laughs> yeah, it's it's funny that the information is is sort of out there, but it's hard to sift through, I guess, sometimes. And I've kind of seen it myself uh, with a lot of, like, maybe not so many, so much women, but with a lot of blokes, like, there really is this thing out there with, like, the tribe and um, the rite of passage and initiation. And I don't know, like, I guess I'm going out there to try to find it and hopefully I'll have some sort of answers for for blokes in the future, but at this stage, like I, I really think, yeah, there's something about getting back in touch with nature that that I think people are so disconnected from. That yeah, I guess get back to nature is about all. <laughs> no, absolutely, mate, and uh, and I think it's it's calling my name with these sleepless nights and uh, a little bit of a little bit of cabin fever, but we'll, we'll put that on hold until. Uh, <laughs> we, we get the all clear because um, more important things right now. But no, absolutely, na- nature is nature is a beautiful place and a healing place, and and it's you know they may they may not have the scientific explanation for it, but there's there's plenty of anecdotes out there of how good it can be. Mate, it was awesome to have you on. Um, we've we've been chatting a long time via Instagram back and forth, and uh, yeah. that's been great. It's it's been good to finally uh, have a chat. Absolutely, and um, from ever in Australia, I'll be looking you up and, and trying to track you down. Definitely. 
and likewise, if you if you come over here, hopefully I'm around as well, and we can we can catch up and um, have have more chats and like I say, connect and and reiterate that tribal uh, core thing that that is going on and so strong for men. So thanks very much. Oh, sounds great, mate. It's always good to catch up with like-minded people. So I look forward to it. Thank you. Awesome. Cheers. What a legend. It was awesome getting Adam on. Um, he admitted to being a little bit nervous on there, but it was cool to hear him loosen up and, and get into some of his stories because what a, what a good bloke. And I loved how, how typical Aussie faction, everything was uh, actually a funny story. It was very quintessential and I loved it. Also loved his message there at the end to get back to nature. We've had many people on this podcast talk about the amazing place that it takes you from Pete Evans to Modern Huntsman, um, all the way back to the likes of Cliff Harvey, Keegan Smith. You know, it's a message that we're trying to push here on the Stag Roar. You know, you can even probably get that from the name. But nature is such a beautiful place in a, in a great way, and it's what we're wired to do. That, top, that moment, as soon as you get out of nature, you feel this buzz about you, you your cells start to vibrate, and, and to use the words of Pete Evans, uh, it's our human experience that starts to really take off when we're in nature. Of course, the episode was brought to you by Waikito. Currently, Prove is running the 60-hour Keto Reboot, which will assist you to reset your metabolism by reprogramming your genes to run on fat for fuel. By conquering a 60-hour keto reboot, you engage your body to use fat as an energy source while gradually shifting into keto adaption. And it's something that Adam and I talked about it afterwards is what we do in terms of fasting, time-restricted eating, intermittent fasting, and just how much of an awesome feeling that is. And the keto reboot provides that little bit of support with the help of ketones, broth, and calming tea to take you through those 60 hours and come out the other side, a fat burning machine with more energy, more clarity, and just a great feeling than ever before. So if you're interested in more information about the Keto Reboot, of course, go to Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-0 dot proveitnow.com and also go to our Facebook page, W-A-I-K-E-T-O, and check out all the information on the 60-hour fast. I put up a wee live there the other day around the amazing benefits of fasting. You can also catch other stuff from people like Ben Warren, which talked about in the podcast, from Grant Schofield, from Karen Zinn, Keegan Smith, Cliff Harvey, all the usuals. You know the drill. Dominic Diagostino, the founder of Exogenous Ketones. And just, yeah, be part of a community that's looking to be better, looking to optimize the human experience. Hope you enjoy this podcast. If you are, feel free to share it with anyone that might benefit. And also be sure to give us a rating on iTunes. Thanks very much. Cheers.